This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been in private practice now for 25 years, and I started podcasting last year. I really wanted to extend the walls of my practice. I wanted to reach people who might already be in therapy or knew more about psychology and therapy and mental health issues, but I also wanted to reach out to people who did not, who might never have heard what a psychologist or a mental health professional might have to say about either mental illness or just relationship problems or whatever are the issues of the day. I believe I'm a conduit in many ways between the people I've seen in therapy over the last 25 years, the people who were hurting and did the work to heal, and those people who are still hurting and maybe at a loss. So that's why self-work is created, and I'm so glad you're here. Today is an exciting day on self-work because I have my very first podcast interview guest, and that is Miss Sarah Fader. Sarah's here to talk about not only her own diagnoses, which have been multiple, and that's been confusing, but also to talk about her own work and advocacy in confronting mental illness prejudice, and stigma. She's the author of multiple books and is well-known in the blogging community as a great supporter and advocate of anyone who's trying to talk about mental health and work on their own issues as well as helping other people work on theirs. She and I have known each other now for probably four years And we had a very interesting start to our relationship, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So we'll get to that interview very soon. We do not have a listener email today, however, because I just wanted the time to be all about Sarah. Sarah, I so appreciate you being here today. I've hinted around that the way we met was very interesting. (laughs) Uh, And and actually, her family may be in the background a little bit. So we've got Sarah Fader and family. (laughs) It's a very Jewish podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was amazed. I went on Amazon and I I knew about your new book and I knew about uh, the three-year-olds or assholes. And of course, I knew about the Stigma Fighters anthology, but you've got like a dozen books or something. <laughs> you have really written a lot. Yeah. I mean, self-publishing is kind of cool because you can just like, you know, whip them out. That sounded bad, but. Um, <laughs> That's all right. But you, yeah, but, but, you know, you can just keep going. It's, it's not as labor intensive as like, you know, finding an agent or like, you know, going through like a publishing company and stuff. Right. But, um, yeah, it's it's weird. Like when people are like, "How many books have you written?" I'm like, "I actually don't know." <laughs> <laughs> well, what you're best known for, and really by me at least, was when you started Stigma Fighters. Yeah, um, that. Can you tell people a little bit about that? Um, I started Stigma Fighters when um, I, when the Huffington Post was still letting people blog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, 
I wrote this article called Fighting Against the Stigma of Mental Illness. And it was the first time that I said out loud that I have panic disorder. Yeah. Because at the time, like that was my working diagnosis. I mean, and I actually kind of self-diagnosed. Like I'd always been told I'd had anxiety and depression, but I had panic attacks. Uh So to me, that's panic disorder. So I had always um, had panic attacks and like I was shamed into like not talking about it because I grew up in the nineties and nobody really talked about anxiety or depression or really any mental illness. Mm, well, I grew up in the sixties. It was the same way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably worse. Right. Yeah. Like I'm sure. But yeah. So I didn't really feel like I could talk about it in school. Like when I had my first panic attack when I was 15 and you know, I wanted to kind of, just come out of the closet and talk about having anxiety in a way that was really open. And I figured, you know what? I'm, I'm in my early thirties. That was at the time, like now I'm later thirties, but I was 33 and I was like, you know, I'm just going to say it like saying it out loud or writing it was really powerful. And after I wrote that article and talked about my experience with anxiety, I had people reaching out to me and saying, is there a place that I can share my story? Yeah. Right. And so I couldn't find a place, and that's when I created Stigma Fighters. Oh, I love that. I love that. If you can't find it, create it. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, it doesn't exist, so I'm going to – but I wanted to have like, this open submission place where people could just say what they experienced, and it wasn't about, like, who they were or, like, you know, whether they were, like, a celebrity or something. It was just, like, real people. Sure. Real people sharing their story about living with mental illness. Well, and the fascinating thing about Stigma Fighters to me is that – it was really one of the first times that people of very diverse backgrounds and very diverse kinds of psychological issues would just, you would either approach them or they would approach you. And here were these just myriad of stories. So I would encourage people to go to Stigma Fighters. You were also featured in the Washington Post along with Jennifer Marshall and some other bloggers about being on this leading cusp of trying to confront the stigma of mental illness. And what are you doing now about that? Where are you in your life with that? Um, It's weird. Like, honestly, like, I feel really burnt out, you know, and I think that that's an important thing to talk about, like, as people that, you know, are um, advocating for destigmatizing mental illness, it's really important to like take breaks and take care of yourself because mm-hmm. if you have these issues, like it takes a toll on you, yes. you know? So that's kind of like where I'm at is like really minimizing the things that I'm, I'm doing so that I am learning to say no. Like that's a big thing right now. It's like, I'm learning to be like, you know what? I can't do that. Could you give a class on that, please? I'd like to take that <laughs> <No>. class. <laughs> it's so hard because I want to be like, yes, yes, yes. I want to do. I want to do that. And even you know, it's not even just like with mental health stuff, but just everything. Like sometimes you just can't do everything that you that you'd like to do. Well, and and a lot of the people who are, of course, on the cusp of that kind of movement are also dealing with mental illness themselves. So yeah. whether it's bipolar disorder, whether it's an eating disorder, whether it's depression that's recurrent, whether it's panic attacks, whatever it is, they are speaking so passionately about it because they also have to manage their own illness. And so you're right. I mean, you have to take breaks and take care of yourself. That's a great point to make, especially if anybody listening is thinking about coming forward and talking about their mental illness, 
it's very relieving and it's very freeing, but at the same time, I, I know when I spoke at This Is My Brave last year, it was one thing to write about that I had panic disorder and one thing to blog about it, but to get up in front of 200 people and say, and by the way, this is how you know I'm having a panic attack. I like reach for the chair and hold on, or I, I want to sit down real quickly because I can feel that anxiety coming. You know, that felt very, very vulnerable. And when you're that vulnerable, with people, then, you know, you have to shore yourself up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think that, you know, it's hard because, like, now I feel like, I don't know, I have, like, life stressors that are happening, so it's, like, hard to tell between, like, what is a life stressor and what is my mental health issue, you know? That's a great point. You know, you can't, sometimes you can't decode, but then... I was talking to somebody about this and, and I think what I came to was it doesn't actually matter because they're, <laughs> because they're both affecting you, yeah. right? There's situational things that are affecting you and then what's internal is also affecting you. Yeah. So they're both valid. Whatever you're feeling is valid, you know? Right. So, but it, yeah, sometimes you're like, is this, well, I think it, it actually comes into play even more when you're taking uh, medication mm-hmm. for anxiety or depression because you think, okay, well, does my medication need to be adjusted yes. based on what's happening for me? One of the things we talked about before we got on air was the this idea that I picked up from your tweets. By the way, Sarah has thousands of Twitter followers. <laughs> um, so, But one of the things I picked up on is the fact that it's been difficult at times in your life because you've been diagnosed with several different things. And I think a lot of people who don't know a lot about mental health think, oh, I'm going to be diagnosed with one thing. Or, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but that's not the case. Frequently, there are, you know, you have a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of something else. And one practitioner is going to call, is going to label something one thing and another practitioner is going to label it something else. Yeah, I I think what I determined after a long time of kind of figuring out or trying to figure out what, what was wrong with me in quotes, right? Yeah. I think <laughs> that after a while, I just didn't care. And it was to me, it, because the thing is, is that a lot of times diagnoses are for the insurance companies anyway. Right. It's really about the treatment plan. So because like, for example, so my latest, I, I definitely have OCD. That's like one thing that I know for a fact I have, and it's genetic. Yeah. And I definitely have ADHD. The, the, the question mark is whether I have bipolar too, because okay. some, my psychiatrist at home in New York was like, I think you have bipolar one. And I was like, hell no, I definitely don't have <laughs> bipolar one. And that, you know, not to say like I, because I have friends who are bipolar type one and I know that that's, I don't have the symptoms. Yeah, just for you know, listeners, bipolar one is where your your highs are very high, very very euphoric. You you are almost overly ecstatic, and then your lows are you're under your bed, you know, hiding and maybe you know having suicidal ideation. So the highs and lows are very extreme in bipolar two. They are not that extreme, and there's more of a sense of anxiety and agitation associated, I think, with bipolar 2. Yeah, see, that sounds more like me. Like, if I were to be anything, it would probably be that or, like, cyclothymic. But again, like, it doesn't matter because I'm on the right medication for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, and I I think, but more than anything, I would say, like, I'm an anxious person Mm -hmm. more than anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I run anxious. I was talking to my friend who is an uh, an MSW about this and 
She's like, you just have to remember that your baseline is more anxious than other people. <laughs> you know, so it's okay. Like if, if, if you then have like anxiety on top of your baseline, that's how you know that you're having a panic attack. Right. You know, right. but, but I, and the other analogy that I give about diagnoses is that it's like, okay, you could say, you could walk into the grocery store and you could say to the person who works there, I would like the yellow box of things that on the on the the front of the box have circles and there's a bowl and there's milk in it right what what can you tell me where that is or oh, that's you could just great be, right? that's a or great you, analogy right or you could just be like where's the cheerios yeah <laughs> so, so you know what i mean like it's that's the difference between like describing your symptoms and saying i have bipolar disorder Right. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes exact sense. It makes exact and sense. So that's how I, I say it to people. And the, But then the thing is, like, if you went into the grocery store, right, and you were describing Cheerios, you might not describe them the same way that I did. Yeah. Because, because I'd say disorder, that stuff you put on a bracelet when you're, like, six. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Eat it. Exactly. You know? <laughs> or it's you like, feed or, your infant, you know, because, you know, yeah, you're trying to keep yeah, them quiet. <laughs> like, you just here, just eat these, just eat them. Or, or like, you know, Fruit Loops, but the healthy kind. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great, because you're so right. I mean, I have people who come in and they all have the same diagnosis, but they don't ever talk about it the same way. I mean, so some some traits can be much more dominant and others more and less so. And so um, that, that's, I love that analogy. Thank you. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And then and the other thing is, I, I remember saying to my um, psychiatrist, well, she's a psychiatric nurse practitioner. There's a mm-hmm. shortage of actual psychiatrists in uh. Portland. But um, I said to her, like, oh, I don't I don't want to be bipolar. If I'm bipolar, I don't want to be. And she's like, nobody wants to be anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and I thought that was a really good, it was a really, like, profound thing to say because it's true. Well, let me, let me ask you, because... I had a patient about two or three weeks ago look at me and she said, she had come in for kind of a tune-up and and she said, well, I've been reading your blogs and that kind of thing, Margaret. And she said, you know, I worry about you. And I said, what do you mean you worry about me? And she said, aren't you a little afraid that people will see you differently because you, you're so frank about having panic? And I said, well, yeah, I bet some people will see me differently and that's okay. But... I'm willing to take that risk in order to do what I ask patients to do all the time, which is accept what's going on with them as not as this horrible weakness or failure on their part, but about just who they are and that's what's given to them. And so how have you dealt with, you know, you're, you're such an advocate for the confrontation of prejudice and stigma, certainly. And so how has that affected you personally? Um, one of the things that I always think about is there isn't a time when I'm not aware of anxiety. Mm. Like there's never, it's always there, whether it's dormant or it's, it's out, it comes out. It's like, it's there. So like any situation in which, like I, I think about um, going to the doctor, you know, like my, basically what I'm saying is like my activist hat or my, my advocate hat is like always on, mm-hmm. like it's always ready to come on. Mm-hmm. Based upon what's happening, because I because anxiety is present, so I'm like, oh, if anybody says anything about anything, like I'm ready, I'm ready to like fight them, 
right. you know? Right. Like, I, I remember um, being in an Uber here, and that it's still, like, bipolar disorder was, like, thrown up as one of my diagnoses, and this woman was like, oh, people that have bipolar, they're so unstable, and they can't, you know take care of themselves and they're just so crazy and oh, i was like Lord. oh really and then i said well i have bipolar disorder <laughs> oh. <laughs> and she she didn't know what to say but i guess what i mean to say is that it's it's just it's always a fight there's always going to be something or somebody that doesn't get it you know so yeah. i think one of the things to be aware of is that don't be complacent because if somebody says something that doesn't sound right to you or that is stigmatizing, don't be afraid to say something. Speaking up when you hear something that is just ignorant or wrong in a kind way, not necessarily in a stigmatizing way yourself, but in a way that helps promote the furthering of this movement toward normalizing mental illness, normalizing problems like this. I mean, there was a post that came out about Ryan Reynolds coming out about his anxiety. And more and more celebrities, I think, are coming forward and saying, you know, I I make a living as a movie star or celebrity, and I still have to deal with all these problems, which, you know, I think is a good thing all in all. Yeah, I. It, it's funny when people are knocking celebrities for coming out with mental illness and saying it doesn't matter because they're, you know, they're celebrity and what could they possibly have to struggle with. But I think that that what you're saying is right on because it's kind of the dichotomy. This person is famous. They're wealthy. They seemingly don't have anything to be unhappy about. And yet they still have these mental illnesses. Exactly. So so that's the, that's what I think is so great about your point because it it affects everybody. Exactly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it has no there're no boundaries. There's no socioeconomic boundary. There's no there's nothing. There's no gender boundary. Um so And then what you're saying about you're so OCD. I think OCD too is one of the things one of the mental illnesses that is downplayed and and made to look funny. Mhm. When it's not, it's not, it's, it can be debilitating. Like, oh, like my, my um, friend, Evan, who I do the podcast with my podcast with, he yes. has, OCD. by the way, she has the Sarah Fader show. So yeah. Yay, yeah. Sarah Fader podcast, but um, he has OCD. And so when somebody says to him, Oh, I'm so OCD. He, he says, well, talk to me when you've been up all night thinking the same thought over and over and over again. <laughs> and you get one hour of sleep and you're convinced that you're dying because you, you, you like touch something that right. has a germ on it or, and, and it's not just hand washing. That's the other thing. People think that OCD is, Oh, I just wash my hands a lot. No OCD. The way that I can describe it, because I have more obsessions than I have compulsions. I, I do see. have compulsions, uh-huh. um, but I have more like, um, like rumination, Okay. you know, So OCD will find the thing that you are the most scared of, the most ashamed of, and it will come and like a little gremlin in your head, little monster, and be like, say the most disturbing thing to you ever. And just keep saying the same disturbing thing over and over again until you feel like shame. Like, how could I think that? Right. Oh, wow. You know? And then, but that's the thing is the treatment for that is, um, to recognize that it, it is OCD. It's not you. It's this is OCD. This is, you know, my illness and it is not 
a part of me, it is my brain glitching. Yes. Yes. And so to, to recognize, I, I've had patients with OCD give their OCD voice a name like Bob. That's Bob yeah, talking. <laughs> exactly. That, that happens a lot. That's, mm-hmm. And that's so, that's so good because it externalizes it. That's a really good way to look at it. Right. And so you learned to challenge Bob. Yeah. And what's, with apologies and to everybody named Bob out there. but <laughs> Seriously, what about Bob? Yeah, you know? What about what Bob? That? What about Bob? But there's, <laughs> there is that, this really good OCD book called Brain Lock. Oh, and I don't know that book. It's, it's a good one, but it it's, talks about that exercise like this. And it's very simple. Like, this is OCD. Basically, my, my brain is doing something that I cannot control. And, and now I'm going to move on. Yes. Right. So I'm going to distract. I'm going to do something to. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But but acknowledging it and labeling it and just saying this is it. But the other thing with OCD is is that is exposure therapy, which is, is very intense. Like yes. I will never forget. And even saying this out loud, like it scares me. But I remember I have a lot of like hypochondria stuff. Mm-hmm. So I remember sitting in my daughter's classroom and I was volunteering to like read to kids and help them with spelling and my hands started shaking. Right. And immediately my thought was I have ALS, I have Parkinson's, <laughs> right? Like the, the hypochondria, those mm, sure you do. I, I get it, you know? And so then I told myself, because this is the exposure therapy technique that my psychiatric nurse practitioner taught me, you say, okay, yeah, I'm, I have ALS. I have Parkinson's. <laughs> yep. I'm dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and it, you just, it's like, it's you flooding. Go with it. You go yeah, with you it. Yeah, you go with it. And I kid you not, my hands stopped shaking. Wow. You know, because, because that's the thing is you take away the power of that thought. Yeah. You just accept it and say, it's not like you're buying into it, but it sounds like it's a way of moving with it instead of against it. Yeah. And it also shows how, and there, I mean, I've had some like ridiculous thoughts where I'm like, what the, like, what, what are you doing brain? You know? (laughs) And here's an example. This is not something I've thought, but this is something that could be like a, just like a disturbing thought that you might have. And you're like, uh, what? And so thinking a lot of OCD thoughts are like, you're going to harm something. You're going to harm something or someone. And that's why they're so shaming because you can't say that out loud. Like you feel you're going to scare somebody. Sure. You know? So again, it's like this exposure therapy technique. So let's say like, for example, like this is a disturbing, okay, I'm going to kill my dog. Right. Like that comes into your head. Right. You know, and it's the same technique. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to kill my dog. Mm -hmm. I'm doing that right now. Yeah. And, And, you know, yeah, the ludicrousness of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you just you just look at how ridiculous it is. You're like, okay, I would never do that. And and it is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. at first because you're like, you don't want to hear that in your head or out loud. But you're taking that power away from the thought. That's the most important thing. Reed Wilson, who's an expert on anxiety, all, all of his practice in North Carolina, I think it is, is all about anxiety. And he says that you go with the anxiety. You don't fight against it. You lean into it almost. And so that's what it sounds like that this is all about. I'm not an expert in treating OCD, so this is fascinating to me. It, um, it's interesting, but, that's, but it is the same kind of principle because I remember with, with panic, I know you can relate to this. Like panic attacks are one of the worst things ever, uh, ever in life. They feel like, like you've been invaded by something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it doesn't feel like you exactly. Mm-hmm. Like it, it feels like this external force that has taken over and you just have to hang on. Right. Like you said, like hang on to the chair. That's right. Like 
you know, and, and that used to piss me off. It used to make me really mad because I felt like I didn't have control. And that was, that's something about anxiety that I think makes people even more anxious is the lack of control. Yes. Because you want to be able to to stop something or make it a certain way. And when you can't, it's like you're anxious about feeling anxious. Oh. Like meta meta anxiety, right? Yes. (laughs) And, And so what I, I remember the first time that I breathed through a panic attack, it was the most excruciatingly painful thing ever, but I felt like such a rock star afterwards. Oh, I bet you did. Wow. You know, I got little goosebumps just telling me about it. (laughs) And I breathed through the numbness and tingling and I was like, whatever's happening is going to happen, you know, which, which, you know, with panic is so terrifying. Absolutely frightening. Again, I want to remind listeners, this is Sarah Fader and she is a huge advocate for the confrontation of mental illness, prejudice, and stigma. And in so doing, she has been very forthcoming with her own issues, and she's written about them. She has books like This Is What Anxiety Feels Like. She has three anthologies of stigma fighters where myself and many, many other people talk about their different mental illnesses and what that has made. She has a new book called The 10-Step Depression Relief Workbook, a cognitive behavioral therapy approach, which she wrote with Dr. Simon Rigo. And then, but we have to tell, to end this up, we have to tell a story about how we met. Okay, so Sarah had written this blog post, which she, blog post, which she later turned into a book called Three-Year-Olds Are Assholes. And I now know that she got so trolled by so many people that it was awful. But I read the post And I just wrote my own post and said something about, well, you know, you kind of have to watch what you think. And yes, it's funny. And yes, they can be assholes and sure, but you do have to be kind of careful. Well, Sarah, you tell them from your perspective what happened. Well, okay. So, so Margaret is right. I was trolled to the nth degree. Like people just, they ran with this concept and they were so mad. I remember I got this like in my Facebook other folder. Yeah. This woman was like, you're the asshole. We <laughs> 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 were so mad. Yeah. Like, and that was, that was the first time it was a great hazing on the internet because it was the first time that people just like hated me so much. <sighs> right. So Margaret had written this post, which actually like in hindsight, was like super neutral. <laughs> Like not, it wasn't even, it was like not even remotely like these people attacking me, but I was like, oh no, another one. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like. So basically we kissed and made yeah. up. I mean, we figured yeah. out, she figured out I wasn't trolling her. I figured no. out that, you know, she was very called, reasonable. Oh, oh, I remember. I actually, I was like, stop trolling me. Like, I think I, think I actually called you a troll. Yeah, I think you did. And, and then, and then you were like, um, I wasn't trolling you. I was just expressing a different point of view and then, but eventually we, we actually became Talked. really good friends yeah yeah yeah, we yeah, talking, yeah became really good friends so it was it was like an, such an unlikely <laughs> but it was yeah I, it was so funny I was like stop trolling me but yeah I, and actually your post if you google three-year-olds or assholes your post comes to the top of the search well, there you go. That's my claim to fame. There you go. But um, but I so I'm eternally grateful, Sarah. 
I, I seriously could talk to you forever. You're so awesome. Well, I feel the same way. Thank you so very much. Uh, like I said, this is my first interview, and I wanted it to be you, and we put it off several Yay. times. I, I know my listeners were tired of it. You keep saying you're going to do these interviews, and then you don't do them. But I was determined you were going to be my first one, so thank you so very I'm so, much. I'm so excited. I and, and actually, we can we can tell everybody the last reason the reason that I couldn't come on last time is because I was having a panic attack. <laughs> I was like, Margaret, I can't do this. And she was so awesome. You're so great. Sarah, thank you so much. We'll have to do this again sometime. Definitely. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you had a great time listening to Sarah Fader. Again, she's got her own podcast, The Sarah Fader. And I appreciate you being here once again with self-work. You can always subscribe wherever you listen. And I've gotten some great reviews and ratings recently, and I so appreciate it. You can also subscribe to my website, drmargaretrutherford.com, and please email me. I love hearing from all of you at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. So thanks for listening. Be your own advocate. If you struggle with depression or anxiety or OCD or panic, Please know that there are many others who are feeling the same way you do. And as Sarah said, sometimes you have to lean in and accept that this is your journey. So thanks for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.